Good morning. My name is Trent Walker. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege and the honor and the pressure of preaching on Easter. Um, I mean that because you don't put pressure on the preacher on Easter Sunday, but any pastor that's ever done it knows that, that it, you stress all week. And so yesterday, I had four different directions I could head, and today, two more came to mind. Um, it's what I get for praying and for studying. Uh, instead of just saying, here's what I'm going to do. So uh, I'm going to pray, and I ask you to pray with me for the proclamation of the Word of God. Yesterday, I got ahead an opportunity to walk around this property and ask God to create a spiritual vacuum so that anything that, that is not of Him that would either in this place or would come into this place this morning would be sucked out, and that a hedge of angels would, would surround this place so that you hear the Word of God with the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the hearts to receive it. So join me in praying for that and join me during the sermon uh, and pray for it to continue so that God's word goes out and does not return to him void, but accomplishes that which he sent it to do. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We praise you. And we thank you for who you are. And this is the day that everything changed. This is the day, the watershed point in all of human history, when you, the creator of all things, decided to take the punishment of our sin away. You raised, you are risen, and you will always be risen. We bless you for that. We thank you for that. And as we hear your story today, I don't mean by saying story, Lord, that, that it's something untrue. It's just your, the way you've chosen to communicate yourself to us. I pray that you convict hearts, that you comfort souls, and that you renew hope. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So a little context. This is what's known in the Christian church as Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter. This is the day that, that Jesus, um, after being crucified, dead, buried, and the third day when some ladies came to the tomb, an angel showed up. And move the stone to show them that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Now, he didn't need to move the stone so Jesus could get out. He moved the stone so we could see in. So let me just give you a little context um, as to why this is important. The so what. See, God from the beginning has, has had an, an, a plan for humanity. God, from the beginning, when he, when he made heaven and earth, when he spoke things into being, when, when, he, when he, he told trees to become and they grew, uh, when, he, when he got near the end of his, of his creative work on the days of creation, he took some mud and he, and he formed it into a man and he called him dirt man. Adam, that's what it means. And Adam was given dominion. Adam was given authority. Adam was a prince of the king of the universe. He was royalty on this planet. Now, he was the only one at that time, but he was royalty nonetheless. He was part of the family of God. And God said to his, his, his creation, his prince on this planet, he said, I want you to, to, to take dominion. I want you to, to steward this creation and remember who it belongs to. 
And he said, whatever you name the animals, they will be named. Whatever you name the plants, they will be named. And, and as he went through and, and the animals were being named and the trees were being named and all the things were being named, God said, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So he laid him down, he took something from him and he made, whoa, man. And he gave her a title, Etzer Connecto, Suitable Helper. And it was only at that point, it's the only time in all creation that God said it was Tob Mayod. It was good, very. Why? Because man and woman are together as the royalty, the royal family of God on this planet. And he wanted us to carry his name. He, in fact, he showed up every day and he walked with them, he talked with them, he knew them, he loved them, and he told them, do whatever you will, except one thing. And they, like the people that we are, chose to do that one thing that he said don't do. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes were opened, and shame entered the world. They were naked and ashamed, and they hid from God, which we all do. And as they hid from God, God came seeking them. He knew where they were, but he came seeking and asked, why, why are you... Why are you covered up? Why are you hiding? And the cancel culture began. Because Adam said, that woman you gave me made me do this. Not taking responsibility for himself, but casting the blame on another. And so God said, you can no longer be where I put you. You need to leave. And they left. And they had children. And their children had children. And their children had children. And their children had children. And it deteriorated so fast that just six chapters into the book of Genesis, God has to just go, mm -mm. So he gave the earth a bath and he saved humanity through one family. Again, his family, his royal priesthood on this planet. And then after the flood, it went on down the road and then, and then they rebelled again. And at that point, he said, that's it. You're no longer going to have everything in common. You're going to have different languages, different cultures. You're going to spread out all over the planet. I'm going to choose one, a guy named Abram, to, to be my people, to be a beacon on a hill, to be, to be a group of people that God shows the world who God is. And they, all those others, no matter what God they decide to worship, no matter what God they decide to invent, they will see who I am because of my people. And God has kept that promise. God, Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob, his son Joseph, the whole world was saved because of a famine coming. And Joseph was picked to be the ruler in Egypt in order to save all of humanity. I'm going to go faster here in a second. We're not going to go through every chapter all the way to Matthew chapter 28. But I want us to understand that this story, this plan A, there is no plan B with God. This plan A is utterly important. So Joseph ends up being enslaved and then has some trouble with the Pharaoh's wife and then, or with Potiphar's wife. And then he grows into a claim and God brings a, uh, Jacob and his descendants. Judah is the, is the one that's most important. He brings them into Egypt and, and they flourish 
for a couple hundred years. But then things change. People become people. They stop seeing what God has done, and they decide to rule the world themselves. So a king changes and he enslaves the people of God, and they get big. They get, they, they, they've grown so much that he decides to kill all of their firstborn children. And they, they begin to cry out to God, and this is what they say. This is from Exodus chapter 2. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help, uh, and their cry for help because of the, their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and He remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. He heard them. He's a God who listens. He remembered His plan, His covenant, His promise to His people. And he was concerned for them. And so God continues to work out his plan of salvation through those people. Joseph's life, a lifetime of, of, of being separated from his brothers and his family, was to save Judah. And Judah, on down the line, became David. And then David was the king. And God made a promise there, too, that there would never, ever be a time when the Someone didn't sit on David's throne. And David did some awful things. David, you know about him and Bathsheba, but there's something that David did that David never should have done. There was a time when David decided to count God's people. And in that Old Testament understanding of the world, you do not count that which is not yours. And so God sent an angel to bring destruction and David climbed up on, the mount, on a mountain, Mount Moriah, at, at a place called uh, uh, the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite that he had purchased to one day be a temple for the Lord. And when the angel was coming, David stood up on top of that mountain and he said, I paraphrase, God, don't take them, take me. It's not their sin, it's mine. You know that that was the very same mountain that Abraham offered up Jacob or Isaac, excuse me, got all my patriarchs going through my head. I'm trying to do this quickly. And then comes another, as things keep going, things keep going, things keep going. You see kings and they do awful things. Previous to that, there were judges, they do awful things. You see wars and famines. And then there's this time when God is quiet. Years, God is quiet. And then some crazy guy dressed in animal skin, eating locusts, comes and announces that God is showing up. And he tells the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he later baptizes the one who would sit on David's throne forever. The one who called, who's called the son of man. He's going to set right everything that Adam did wrong. He's going he's to he's keep the covenant of God. He is going to fulfill all things. And Jesus enters the planet and he starts to walk around and he starts to talk and know and love. And everything he said to every person he spoke to and every way he healed, everything he, everything he did was motivated out of love and the desire to save humanity from itself. See, we're all stricken with a disease, according to Scripture, every one of us. We've had two and a half years of freaking out about a disease, and rightfully so, 
And wow, two and a half years. But there is a disease that, inf- that afflicts humanity that will kill every one of us. The mortality rate is 100%. Scripture calls that, 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 that disease sin. And sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what makes us mortal. And sin is what brings us to the point where we look at someone else and we want harm to come to them. So God, in the person of Jesus, puts together a ragamuffin group of people. He takes, in our world today, a social justice warrior, a government official, and members of a militia. And he puts them all together. And he says, you've all been thinking about things here. And I'm going to show you things here. I'm going to show you what God wants, not just for you, but from you. And he walks for three years, and he talks, and he teaches. And he comes up against the people who represent all that was. The people that represent religiosity and power. The people who want to keep those who don't yet know God from knowing God. And he takes them on, and they kill him. Where do they kill him? on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, where Jesus hanging on a cross, and I paraphrase the message of the gospel, Father, take me, not them. It's their sin, not mine. So a transaction took place right there. He takes the perfection of Jesus, and he gives it to you. It's called imputed righteousness. And in order for him to do that, your sin, my sin, humanity's sin as a whole, had to be imputed upon Christ. The scripture says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And if the story ended there, we can have a modicum of hope that God chooses to not hold against us what we've done before, and we've got a fresh start. But look at our world. Are we for one another? Look at our world. Are we holding people's sin against them, no matter how far back, or are we we treating everyone like they're a blank slate? See, we are human, and the human desire is to say, not your will, God, but mine. And so there was more than the death of Jesus that had to take place. More than just that transaction, there had to be some way of taking the punishment that is deserved by all of humanity away from us. And so he beat the enemy of humanity. He rose from the dead. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, I love that. It'd be like Trent Thibodeau and the other Trent. The other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. 
And in the Greek, it says, he has been raised, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen. He's risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then the angel, I love this ending. There I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Jesus met them. Greetings. They came to him, clasped at his feet, worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Just go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And I don't know if you remember last week when we talked about Jesus coming to the, to, to, to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and, and you know, they plotted to kill him, but he told them that they're going to lose the kingdom of God. They, got one, they get one more chance. Right here, they have one more chance, and they still eat the apple. They still go, my will, not yours, Lord. They get one more chance. God is so gracious, he gave them one more chance. When the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city to report to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this report gets, gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Not just among the Jews. It's still happening today. Can you imagine, just for one second, you're, you're a pastor or a seminary professor or, or, or someone, a bishop, you're someone important, and you take on a religious ruler that is stirring things up a little bit. You don't really like it, but he claims to be God. He, claim, he tells you that he's going he's gonna to tear down the temple and grow it back in three days, meaning himself, not the brick-and-mortar temple. And you find out that he actually came back from the dead because these, these guards, they, you know what happens to them if they fall asleep? They get targets pulled on them, and they lit on fire. That's the punishment for falling asleep on guard duty for a Roman soldier. They didn't fall asleep. These religious rulers hear what happened. And instead of going, my Lord and my God, they figure out a way to make sure humanity is continued, continue, figured out a way to continue to lie to humanity. And then Jesus, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Weird sentence right there, I understand. But it's not that different than the ladies at the tomb. They left afraid but full of joy because they have to be going, what is happening? And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the great commission. When he meets his disciples, this is what he tells them, but he's telling them more than we think he is. Notice that he calls them, but when he talks to Mary and the other Mary, he says, go tell my brothers. He didn't say my disciples. He didn't say those that rejected me. He didn't say, he, didn't, he, he, he called them brothers. See, the God of the universe wants a family on earth, just like he has in heaven. And Adam and Eve were that royal priesthood. They were the ones that were supposed to represent God to all. They blew it. Abram, who became Abraham, blew it. Isaac, blew it. Jacob, 
blew it. Judah blew it. All the judges blew it. David blew it. But he calls you brother. He calls you sister. You know what else he does? I've got to find it. You hear this at the end of many of your worship services. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, he's the priest, and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God's plan from day one, God's plan today. But what we never say is what's written next. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Because of who Jesus was and because of who Jesus still is, you and I have an opportunity to be part of the family of God. When I grew up, my dad used to say, you're a walker. Walkers don't do that. And he blew it. And I've blown it. But everything I did affected people other than myself. Everything I did, they knew who I was because of my name. And things Sometimes I sullied it. And one of the things I said to my son when he went off to college is, remember who you are. Never crossed my mind, honestly, until recently. I've had the idea that God puts his name on our jersey, that we represent him, we're ambassadors, but we're family. You're family. Your sins are gone. He separates your offenses as far away from you as the east is from the west. Why? For what purpose? The same purpose that he began this with. So that you and I, his family, his royal family, can show the world who he is. What he's like. You remember the the commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain? Remember that one? You grow up, your parents tell you that means don't say JC or GD when you're angry. But then we're told that there is no name under heaven or on the earth or under the earth by which we might be saved other than Jesus. It is more than something you say, it is what you carry. The the idea there of, of do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, but for the Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name, it's, it's to take up and to carry and to project the name of God. You are a representative of the name of God. That is part of why Easter is important. Look around our world. Tell me for one minute that it's better than it was 20 years ago. We have more stuff, but we hold against people things they said 30 years ago. We're angry at everyone. We accuse everyone. 
The only hope for humanity is to be bearers of God's name. To go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Surely he's with us. He's never walked away from us. He has continued to pursue us. But we blow it and we blow it and we blow it. And oh, how great it is to have a God that expects us to fail more often than we do. Is there hope? Yeah. But it's not in the guy in charge of Russia. It's not in the person in charge of the United States. It's not, it's not in this particular group. It's not in this particular group. We don't have to go looking for our identity. We don't have to find ourselves. We've already been found. The God of the universe says, you are mine. And how do we receive the offer, the gift, the, the, the salvation, the ma- being made right before God and therefore being made right to others? It's simple. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, saved. But if you're waiting and you're thinking, I just got to be good. Or if you're thinking, God doesn't, he can't love me. He doesn't know what I've done. God doesn't know what you've done. He knows what you think. The scripture tells us all have sinned. That's that disease that we're born with. It's going to kill us. The mortality raises 100%. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. What we earn from our sin Eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is risen. Surely he is with us. He's a God who hears. He's a God who remembers. And he's a God who cares. Where his name Take it up. Be who God made you to be. Don't tell him who he made you to be. Hear him tell you who he made you to be. Because surely God is with you even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, the only thing for me, I'm concerned about is, was I faithful? Because I got to go do this again in the next room and again at 1030. Lord, convict me of anything that I said that was not of you so that I don't repeat it. And wipe anything that I said that was not of you out of the ears and out of the minds of your people because, Lord, it's your word that goes out. It's your story that we need to hear. And it's, it's you who saves no one else. Save us, Lord, each of us individually and corporately. And Lord, for those who, don't, who have not yet confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart, call them to that today. Call them to just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I blew it. I received for myself this day your salvation, what Jesus did for me in the cross and the resurrection. Forgive me, Lord. 
and then write their name in the Lamb's Book of Life, in the family Bible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.